You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear Heavenly Father, loving God, please give us ears to hear, give us minds to perceive and hearts to believe as you speak to us from your word this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who am I? This is a question of identity that we all face. You know, we all face it once in our life, maybe once a day. And the marketing world makes a living off questioning who you are, of trying to tell you who you are. We create labels for everything around us in order to simplify the world that we have before us. At the moment, at least amongst my friends, there's a great love of personality tests that we, that we use to understand who we are, our identity, trying to understand who we are and how we behave. Because we believe that who we are, our identity, shapes the way that we behave. We know this to be true in the professional world. You have to train for years and years and pass countless tests in order to become a doctor so that you might be able to heal people. You can't just start chopping off people's limbs and call yourself a surgeon. It's the same with different positions in organisations. You can't fire an, em- an employee unless you're an ama- a manager. And if you're just an employee, you have to act like it. You have to follow the orders of your superiors. Your identity shapes how you behave. This is true for the Christian life as well. As Dean Pearson often says, we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. That is, our actions of sinning don't shape who we are, our identity, into sinners, but our identity is as sinners and our behaviour flows out of that sinful heart, that sinful identity. In tonight's passage, Peter wants to remind us of our identity in Christ. Our identity as Christians. He reminds us that for those who believe in Jesus Christ we have all the benefits of belonging to him. What is his is ours. His identity becomes our identity because our identity is connected to him, is built upon his foundation. All throughout this passage, Peter is using imagery from the Old Testament to show that now believers of Christ make up a new people of God a people of God who possess all that Israel had, but in far greater measure. Israel was a holy nation chosen by God. Now we are a a chosen people, a holy nation. Israel had a temple and a priesthood. Now we are the temple and the priesthood. Israel was God's special possession. Now we are his special possession. All that Israel had and was, we now have through faith in Christ. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. 
as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is using the imagery of the Old Testament temple here. The temple was a very important place for Israel. It was a place where they could meet with God, where they could have relationship with him because it was a place that God dwelt among his people. It was his house. It's also where the priest offered the sacrifices to him. And Peter takes this theme and says that now this temple is us. We are being built into God's household, his dwelling place, the church. The temple is no longer, though, a a physical building. It's now a spiritual house. It's no longer made of stones. It's now made of living stones, organic stones. Now, it goes without saying that living stones is a metaphor because a living stone is kind of an oxymoron. You can't... How do stones live? How can you have a living stone? Stones can't die. But we are living stones because of our connection to Christ. We are living stones because of our connection to Christ. In verses 6 to 8, Peter quotes from three Old Testament passages. And these passages describe that the stone is the Messiah. Peter says that these passages are about Jesus. He is the stone that was rejected and tossed away, not considered worthy of use. He was taken out of the city and thrown away, put to death, crucified. But God raised him from the dead so that he is no longer dead but living. He has become the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God. And so through faith we are united to Christ, united to this stone, and through our connection with him we too become living stones. So Christ forms the very foundation of who we are. He is the bedrock of the church. I wonder what your identity is founded upon. This has become a big question for me recently, moving overseas to a place that I didn't really know, with people I didn't really know. It's made me question who I am and where I find my identity. I've changed from being very secure in my homeland to becoming a foreigner and a stranger in a strange land, much like the audience that Peter is writing to. I now live in a strange land with strange people who eat grits and who worship elephants and tigers and who drive on the wrong side of the road. So where do I find my identity? Am I just the funny-sounding Australian? Am I just the guy who doesn't think that America is the greatest country in the United States? That I said that rightly. There's a documentary on Netflix that, about a comedian who says that America is the greatest country in the United States, so I said that right way. Anyway, am I just the guy who eats Vegemite or drinks Foster's? Back when I was in Australia preparing to move over here, I had big dreams of what my identity might be, who I might become. The problem was that this new identity was based on my own desires, 
It wasn't based in reality. And I quickly realised that I'd brought my old self with me. And so I quickly slipped back into my old habits, habits that flowed out of who I am, an introvert who loves sport, who loves TV, who loves eating, who gets tired in the afternoon and loves procrastinating. I soon realised that I was seeking my, my identity not in Christ, but in what I could do in, in the standards of this world. I wonder what you find your identity in. What things do you place your identity in? In your work, your family, your children, your money, your college, your football team? This passage reminds us that as Christians, our identity has fundamentally changed. It's now founded upon Christ, the cornerstone, the living stone. We are now living stones being built into a spiritual house on the foundation of Christ in which God now dwells. No longer does God dwell in one location though, but through the Holy Spirit, he now dwells in all of us, in his people, the church. No longer is the temple restrained just to one spot, but it's now built up of living stones from every tribe and people and nation. Not only are we the temple of God, but we're also the priests who work in this temple. See, twice Peter describes us as a priesthood in verses 5 and 9. But there's a big difference between the priesthood of the Old Testament and our priesthood now. There's a big difference between back then and now. For no longer do we offer animal sacrifices, but we now offer spiritual sacrifices, which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is another strange phrase, isn't it? Spiritual sacrifices. What is a spiritual sacrifice? A sacrifice usually involves killing something. But how can you kill something that is spiritual? Well, elsewhere in the Bible, we're given clarity of what this means. In Romans 12:1, it says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual worship. In Hebrews 13:15-16, it says that we are to offer to God through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and that we're to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. In verse 9, Peter makes this same connection. We're made into a royal priesthood in order to proclaim. Our sacrifice is one of allegiance, of proclaiming the name of the one that we belong to, of giving up our lives in service to God. No longer do priests sacrifice bulls and goats, but now we, now we have become the sacrifice. We are the ones who are sacrificed. Our whole life is to be a sacrifice of worship of God through confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, through praising God and giving up ourselves, our, our desires, for him. But this sacrifice of ourself is not acceptable to God because we are in any way worthy. Rather, our sacrifice is made acceptable through Jesus Christ. We are washed in his blood and made clean before God. This is 
an important point to dwell on, and it goes back to my original idea of identity. I was watching a movie last night called uh, Captain Fantastic. It's this strange movie, an interesting movie, about this hippie family who is uh, struggling to integrate with normal life, with with the normal world. And a phrase got repeated through this movie. The phrase was that uh, words don't define us, but actions do. That we're not defined by what we say because words are just words, but rather we are defined by our actions because our actions speak louder than words. This was the family mantra. But for the Christian, it's not actions or words which defines us. It's neither actions nor words which make us acceptable to God. We do not become acceptable to God through what we can do, what work we do, through our actions or through our behaviour. But we become acceptable to God through what Christ has done for us. Doing things doesn't make you into a Christian. You must be born again before you can do any good things. You don't become a Christian by coming to church every week, though it does help a lot. But you could turn up to church every day for the rest of your life and you would still not be a Christian. You would still be no closer to God. The, The Christian life is not about doing. It's about what Christ has done. It's not about external works, but it's about the internal life of, you, of yourself. It's about your heart. It's about whether you believe in the promises of God. Whether you trust in his promise of salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, that he promises through Christ's death and resurrection. Peter says that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, in who he is and what he has done, they are a holy and royal priesthood. Through Christ we can now approach God. We can now be in relationship with him. Through Christ we have a new identity. We are transformed into a new people, being built together as the church. No longer is the priesthood restricted to the tribe of Aaron or the Levites. Now everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a priest. The priesthood is not just those who have been ordained, And, you know, something about me is that I would actually prefer it if you never called me a priest, even though I am one because I believe in Jesus Christ. Not because I'm ordained and I have this name of Reverend Michael Weeks or that I wear a collar around my neck in the mornings, but I'm a priest just like you because I believe in Jesus Christ. I trust in him. And so you also are a priest. We are no different in our identity I just have a different role in this church. But because we are all priests, the offering of sacrifices is no longer just my job, but it's the work of all of us. Remember, though, that these sacrifices are not material things. They're not bulls or goats. We no longer need to make sacrifices in order to atone for our sins before God because Christ has been sacrificed once for all. He is our high priest who has gone before us, through whom we are acceptable to God, through whom we can come to God and have relationship with him.
but our sacrifice is our life. The giving up of our life in service of him, of proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Therefore, the ministry of this church is not just left to me or Brandon or Zach or Matt or Deborah because the ministry of, is not the task of only those who have been ordained but the ministry of this church is for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. We each have the tasks of being a priest to each other, ministering to each other through the proclamation of the word, proclaiming the excellencies of God, reminding each other the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as a church, we also have the task of being priests to the world. Although our our worship of God is vertical, directed toward God, giving him all the glory, it also has a horizontal aspect to it. It's also directed towards the world as we proclaim to them the good news of Jesus Christ through word and through deed. That is, the church in its worship of God has a priestly role in reminding the world that it needs Jesus, in reminding the world of its need for atonement of sins, their need for forgiveness of sins, their need for the gospel. But this proclamation is not one-dimensional in that everyone should be standing behind this pulpit and preaching the word of God. It can take many forms in encouraging our friends over coffee and reminding them of the gospel, writing letters to others through evangelism, through one-to-one discipleship, through giving your testimony to your friends or even preaching from this pulpit. And as Peter will go to talk about, go on to talk about in the rest of this letter, our life should be a proclamation of the gospel. Through our behaviour in this world, through what we do, we should be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That is, as Christians, our behaviour should flow out of our, our identity, out of who we are, because we are now the people of God. And so we should behave in that way that we might witness to this world that there's an alternative story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, Matt spoke about the reality of our changing culture, of the changing nature of America, that rejection is becoming more and more a part of the church and a reality of the Christian culture. Because our identity is tied to Christ, just as he was rejected so too will we be rejected. And as America becomes more and more a post-Christian nation, rejecting God and rejecting the son that he sent, then more and more we will feel this rejection. But the question is, how will we face this rejection? The answer is through the gospel. As our church slogan says, through having a living and daring confidence in the grace of God. We don't need to be afraid of anything that this world can do to us. Because although the world may reject us, we have not been rejected by God. Though the world rejected Jesus, God did not reject him, but chose him as the cornerstone. We face this rejection knowing that through Jesus Christ, we are chosen by God. We are his own special possession. 
our identity is found in him. And although we deserve justice, we have received mercy. Though we deserve punishment, we have received love. Instead of being rejected, we have been chosen by God. And we are now the people of God being built up into his dwelling place that we might proclaim his excellent deeds. The way we face this rejection is through understanding who we are, through our identity, knowing that we are God's. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the mercy and the love that you have poured out for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are making us into a new people, a spiritual house that you dwell in, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for this love and this mercy. And we're thankful for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.